Here's another inspiring message from Northside Community Church, Sydney. So how are you with disruption? <laughs> um, um, you know, that thing, that, thing that, that always breaks the status quo. Uh, are, are you a, a person that, that deals with that reasonably well? Uh, one of the litmus tests is how you react to uh, one of these devices. <laughs> um, here's, here's the litmus test. Let's see how we go. A little test of the temperature of the class. Um, who here is the sort of person that is straight out of the bed the minute this alarm clock goes off? We've got those in the room. Look at them. Wow. That's great. Who are those that just dwell in the beauty of those extra three to five minutes in the snooze button? There we are. They're, they're all the ones that are rejoicing that we're moving to 10 o'clock next week, aren't they? Yes. <laughs> It's like a gift from heaven. <laughs> um, you know, there is actually an anxiety disorder associated with the typical sound of that alarm clock. Um, are you one of those people that have got that? You know, psychologists say there's a conditioning that we've had since we've been teenagers and studying that the minute we hear that, you know, making some people anxious now, you know, it just it stirs something within us, right? Um, it's, it's, it's one thing to be disrupted by an alarm clock. Here's the question. What about the alarm clocks of life? You, you, you know, those things that, that wake you up to a whole range of different things. A, a new opportunity, perhaps, or, or maybe it's a new job, or it's a change in your circumstances, or alarms go off in relation to... Your health, what do we do in that space? Because life's full of disruptions, right? If you've lived long enough. Um, life is disruptive. In fact, we're living in an era of disruption. Like disruption's so hot right now. You know, like it's, it's, it's the buzzword right now. Like Uber and Airbnb and Spotify, menu log. You know, I'm reading an article that restaurants are getting upset because of menu log. It's disrupting the industries. We live in an age of disruption at the moment. But here's the question. Are you disruptable? Because here's, here's my problem. My problem is I'm, I'm struggling with a secret addiction behind the scenes. Um, I'm, a, I'm addicted to this thing called normal. Yeah, yeah it, it's, um, it's pretty full on. Um, it has a whole range of different side effects. It's a normal, um, the addiction to normal, it's actually a hallucinogen. It makes you think and see things. Like it makes you think that life is comfortable when it's really not. Um, normal, an addiction to normal makes you feel safe. Um, normal is so addictive that, as I'm saying, he, I, I think normal is the new normal. <laughs> right? There's a gravity to normal. Normal's safe. Normal's comfy. I love the way that normal makes me feel. And, you know, if you taste a little bit of normal, have you ever been in that situation? If you taste a bit of normal, you just can't go back. You just want more normal. <laughs> right? I love normal. I'm a normal, normal, the beauty of normal, normal makes disruptive feel less disruptive, right? It eases the pain. It's like normal is the Panadol to disruption. It just eases it for you. And, you know, as a result, normal causes us to do all sorts of crazy things. Normal causes us to build all of these sorts of man-made systems in our lives that make us feel like, well, that life is normal. And we build these systems into our lives to protect normal. We protect normal. Have you done that? You know, someone tries to take your normal away and you get really defensive. That's how you know you're an addict to normal. 
and you start saying all sorts of crazy things to the people that you love. Well, that's the way I've always done it. Well, that's the way that dad told me to do it. Well, that's how it should be done. <laughs> right? It's crazy things that normal makes you say in life, particularly when you live in a disruptive world. And so for some people, these systems that we make, we sit in them, uh, they, they, create, they create for us this, this camouflage of, of changes that make us look disruptible when we're really not. Normal can be a, a, a camouflage of these systems, a ways for us to show the world that, that we're with it, we're agile, we're changing, we're okay. But deep down, these things, they're taking over our lives, they're capturing us, they're masking the changes that are not really changing us. Because for some people, success is not success. For some people, success is merely survival. If you survive, you're successful. If you, just make, if, you st- if you just sit in normal through a disruptive world, then it's okay. And it's not until a disruption occurs that we suddenly feel like the world's not that normal after all. You felt this? Our own Michael McQueen, uh, who's leading worship this morning, um, says in his book, uh, How to Prepare for What's Next, available on Amazon, iTunes... <laughs> 5% commish? Yeah. <laughs> Three, 3%, that's fine. Um, our own Michael McQueen says in his book, he's, he, he really is the guru of disruption in the corporate world at the moment. He says, you know, as, as humans, we live in a world where we feel that 85% of the weather yesterday is the same as tomorrow. And as a result, we think our past experiences are the best predictors of the future. And so we operate within the realms of our self-confirmed biases and we expect the world around us to conform to them. What sort of biases have we got when it comes to church? What sort of addiction do we have to normal within the church? How do we resist the gravity of, of normal? How do we resist that? Because I don't know about you, but, but could you ever imagine asking a little seven-year-old, hey, what, what, what do you dream of being when you grow up? Do you think their answer to you is Normal. No, we want to be astronauts. We want to be princesses. I want to be a princess. You know, we, we want big lives. We want, you wanted big lives. And, and somewhere, somewhere along the line, we got addicted to normal. And the great news is for you this morning, that is not how God intends for you to be. I don't care how old or how young you feel you are. There's no such thing as normal with the God that we worship because in a disruptive world, here's the key character that I want you to get about the God that we worship. God of all people is the great disruptor. Disruption disruption didn't begin in Silicon Valley. It began in the Kidron Valley. Yeah, see what I just did with that? Yeah, yeah, that was good. Just did a Bible joke. The fact that there is a temple that is the central part to 75% of the world's religious population in the Kidron Valley there means that this God is a God who disrupts the world around him. This world has never been the same before he arrived on the scene. This world has never been the same before he spoke to Abraham and said, your descendants will be like the sand. This world has never been the same before, uh, before and after the great disruption that said in the beginning the word was with God and the word was God and the word became flesh. 
What a disruption. You don't get more disruptive than the God that becomes a person and turns the world upside down. I mean, we changed our calendars because of this disruption. (laughs) Our God is the great disruptor. He's constantly changing things. Andrew said last week, he's a changeless God that changes things. You know, if I thought about God's character, here's how I'd like to define it. I reckon God's cheeky. (laughs) Have you ever thought about him as cheeky? An agitator? The one that knows what is best for you, but he's just going to stir things up so you can't get addicted to normal? My mind, I don't know if that's theologically true, by the way, so cut that from the podcast. But I like to think as my God is a cheeky God. He likes to stir things up. And that's exactly what we see in this passage in Acts chapter 8 here, where it says, On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. And everyone except the apostles was scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen. But Saul began to destroy the church, going from house to house. And he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. Philip in Samaria. And those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. And so here we have this picture, those who'd been scattered. That was everyone. That was all people, lay people, church volunteers, members of the congregation of the Church of Jerusalem, went everywhere throughout the countryside and they preached. Now, the word preach there is not what you and I think of. When we we think of preach, you're thinking of what I'm doing to you now, a bunch of people listening to a learned Bible scholar tell you how things should be from the Bible. (laughs) That's not the preaching that went on. It was to evangelize. And so in other words, this persecution comes into the church. People are scattered and they begin gossiping the gospel. They begin living the gospel. They begin embodying the gospel. They begin living out Christianity. And so we have this situation where the persecution, the disruption, the disruption comes along and pushes everyone out. Now, here's what I don't get. If you go back and read about the church in Jerusalem there, you know, at one point, Acts chapter 2, it says 3,000 were added to their number in one day. I mean, that is like revival. 3,000 in one day. This is the first ever megachurch. We think Hillsong invented the megachurch. No, the church in Jerusalem was the first megachurch. 3,000 in one day. People are bringing their friends to church. People are inviting them. People are down the dusty street saying, you should hear these apostles, this preacher. He's got such a great word for you. He's really going to bless you. Come along, come and listen. They're dragging people into church. Preaching's happening. People are coming to Jesus. Ministry's going everywhere. The church is growing. Now, pause for a second. Is it just me or isn't that exactly what the church should be? I mean, isn't, isn't that every pastor's dream? Like if, if, if I had that result on my resume, I would hope that the elders would continue my tenure here with you, right? In fact, the deep, dark secret is that's what every pastor aspires to. And yet the minute that this thing gets big, what happens? Cheeky God kicks the Lego house over. And he scatters the church. The sovereign God scatters the church. The believers go everywhere. What is with that? (laughs) Are you seeing what's happening, class? What's the effect of the disruption of this mega church, this great church that's happening? Here's what happened. The disruption turned everyone in that church from being ministry consumers to ministry providers. Everywhere they went now, the believers preached. Not the apostles, not the ministers, not the ones up the front. Everyone was now charged with gossiping the gospel. 
And what happens, verse 8, and as a result, there was great joy in that city. And so we see this incredible dynamic where before everyone comes to church, gifted preachers, big buzz, everyone gets scattered, everyone preaches, and now the church takes off in a way that it never would have had it remained the mega church that it was back there in Jerusalem. Have you seen this? The church is not supposed to be a body of people that come together and get together and just consume from a bunch of experts. We get this. We've talked about it for years. I know we're beginning to embody this, but the church now are people who turn up on a Sunday saying, I am here as to be recharged and refueled as a ministry provider. I'm here to be trained. I'm here to be equipped. I'm here to listen. I'm here to do life. I'm here to understand that like that church back then, everyone within the church is on mission together. So God disrupts the church. God's disrupted this church. (laughs) There was a great line from someone I was chatting to who's really excited about this North Taramara stuff. And and their line was literally something like this, like, well, this is really exciting. We're we're not going to be doing boring Sunday church anymore. (laughs) And, And how wonderfully true for a leader to look at our church through that lens. You know, as, as, as a church, we've got a real risk that we get addicted to normal. <laughs> and, and, and two months, this whole notion of being, being a church with multiple campuses, like it, it, wasn't, it wasn't even on the radar and then poof, a disruption has come into the church. The thing I'm thankful for is it's not a persecution, at least. But it's a disruption. And can you see the principle here then? Could it be that God in his sovereignty for our church is bringing about a disruption where there are opportunities now for you and for I to, to serve, for you and for me to serve in ways that we never would have served before had the disruption not come along, right? You are all ministers for Jesus. And as we serve here and as we serve in Taramara, all of us are on that common mission to gossip the gospel and embody all that the message of Jesus is. So he's brought a disruption. But um, here's here's the interesting thing. like you, You can corporately disrupt something. You could corporately disrupt, as I said, you could corporately, you could corporately disrupt a Lego house or you can corporately disrupt a dandelion. One leads to just a lifeless pile of bricks. The other one could lead to a field of life. What's the difference? The, 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 the difference here is um, one, one has a life and a purpose in and of itself to do something beyond the initial disruption. And, and what we've got to wrestle through is uh, how do you see your role here in this Lego house? as a Lego brick or as a dandelion seed? That as the wind of the Holy Spirit blows into this place and disrupts us, it pushes us out seeds of new life for the place and the ground and the garden for wherever God has planted you. And so whether or not you remain a Lego brick or a dandelion seed, whether or not you are a person of, of just static nature or deep dynamism, is this question that we've been asking, to what degree are you disruptable? And so there's a character here in this passage that we're going to look at because 
We've seen the corporate disruption, but I want to look at what it means to live an individually disrupted life as we think about the how-to here. There's a character in this passage that we may have skipped over. He's a character that's standing there in the background. He's a character that's watching on. He's a character that, that as um, Time magazine it's, itself put, this character was probably the, most, the second most influential person in history behind Jesus Christ himself, and it was the Apostle Paul. We see him there standing there that he was watching over the martyring of, of Stephen and he was the one who, who begins a deep persecution against the church. But it's this guy that we then look in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 when he's in ministry that he reflects on his life. And look at what he says. I've worked much harder. I've been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones, (laughs) shipwrecked. You're sensing what this poor guy's been through? Does that sound like a disrupted life to you? A disruptable life to you? I want to I show you three, three key elements of a disruptable life that I think over his history, we'll take the helicopter view that Paul embodied. I think there's key elements, three key elements that, that are present for each and every one of us, but we're at risk of, uh, of diminishing and of not really thinking about. And we see the, the, the first one here, Paul says here, he began to destroy the church, going from house to house, drags them off, puts them in prison. And then Paul, 20 years later, reminisces about his first disruptive moment in his life to King Agrippa. And he says this, I was so obsessed with persecuting that I even hunted them down in foreign cities. On one of the journeys, I was going to Damascus with the authority and the commission of the chief priests. About noon, King Agrippa, I'm on the road and I see this light from heaven, brighter than the sun, blazing around me and my companions. We all fell to the ground and I heard a voice say to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. And then I asked, who are you, Lord? I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, the Lord replied. Now get up, stand on your feet. I've appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and as a witness of all you have seen and will see of me. (laughs) Um, Quick quick side note, do you see the purpose in that disruption? I've disrupted your life. Get up, go, be a dandy lion seed. <laughs> go be a witness. Go preach the gospel wherever you go. God only ever calls you in in order to fling you back out again, right? We're only blessed in order to be a blessing. And so we see here the first key element in our lives to live a disruptable life is this. There needs to be a disrupting event. Anyone who is a Christian has had a disrupting event. There has to be this paradigm-busting event, this event that busts your view of the world around you. What is the road to Damascus? The road to Damascus is a paradigm-busting event. To Paul up until that point, like resurrections don't exist. To Paul, for Paul up until that point, Christianity was just an out-of-hand idea, not a real person that speaks to you. And can you see how it totally shifts his view of the world, totally busts his view of the world, and as a result compels him into mission. You know, it's like back in, back in uh, the medieval times. You know, people thought that the solar system, uh, that, that the solar system all revolved around the earth, right? That the, uh, the, the, the sun revolved around the earth, not the other way around. And back in those times, they thought the stars were just little pinpricks in the firmament, little pinpricks in this black sphere that surrounded the earth, right? But for years, we, we thought the sun went around the earth. 
until someone came in and had a paradigm busting event and said, well, maybe, maybe, maybe it's the other way around. Maybe, maybe the earth's going around the sun and he almost gets killed for it, right? Why does it take so long for someone to have that aha paradigm busting moment? Because of our self-confirming biases. <laughs> Solar systems, but that was normal. They're addicted to normal. And there's a disruption. So there has to be a disruptive event in your life. And here's why. Because you never find God just by thinking about him. You never find God spiritually by being told you have to be disrupted. And I want you to think back, whether it was 50 years ago, whether it was five years ago, whether it was last year, has God disrupted you in this way? That's how you know you're a Christian, first and foremost. There's a disrupting event. But then this disrupting event leads to this next characteristic that we see in Paul's life. He says to the Corinthian church, Who is weak and I don't feel weak? Who is led into sin and I do not inwardly burn? Here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance, as he says in Timothy. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of who I am the worst. What sort of heart do you see in that? You see, this, this, this paradigm-busting of N has God break into your life then to the degree that it's one thing to have a disrupting call, but now you need to allow God to disrupt your heart to a degree in which it begins to shift. And in fact, here's what I mean by this. Your heart, your heart needs to break out of its functional gravity. There are things that your heart believes that you don't even know it believes it yet. Can I say that again? There are things your heart believes that your head doesn't even know it believes yet until there is a life moment that comes in and shakes against that. And here's what I mean. Like, for example, some of you, your heart believes no matter what your head tells you that you are competent to run your own life. That we think we know what career we should have, what job we should do, who we should marry, where we should go, where we should live. That we're somehow competent to run our own lives. And it's only until you have these paradigm-busting events in life when there is hardship and there is challenge and there is uncertainty and there is a lack of wisdom that we go, maybe I don't know how to run my own life. Right. So as God breaks into that, he, he shifts us and he shifts our heart so that we come to realize that there is a gap between what our head thinks we know to be true and what our heart functionally believes. And the only way that you shift that and change that is if God breaks into that. Have you been there? Been in that moment where, where you feel this? And sometimes it's painful, right? And it's tough and it's difficult. But you, you, never re- you can never really come to understand God by being told. You have to be shown. And that's what we see in Paul there. And then finally he says, um, Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. I was pelted with stones, shipwrecked, spent a night and a day at the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. And he goes on for about another three minutes. <laughs> you know that passage? He goes, one thing to the next and the next and the next. Is it just me or does that look like a disruptable life? Is there a degree of disruptability in your life? I love, I love that passage of the, the Good Samaritan. We said one of the key aspects of the Good Samaritan is that, that he was willing to get off his donkey and, and to cross the road. There was a degree of disruptability in his life. And if we're real, when we, when we look at this, we can, we can have people that have had the disrupting event and they've, they've got the disruptible heart, 
but they don't live a disruptable life because if I'm real, particularly in our context, there is kind heart and there's a big event, but at the end of the day, we're just too darn busy. And we find ourselves caught saying, you know what, I'd love to do that for God, but I'm not sure if I could fit it into my schedule. (laughs) Is there a degree of disruptability about your life? I love the way that Rick Russo from one of our sister churches in the state says, getting out of Your own way is difficult. Going out of your own way is even more difficult. (laughs) Is there a posture of disruptability about you? You see, what we see in this passage is that the most disrupting thing in the history of the church was not just that it was disrupted back then, By the persecution. But it was that those, it's it's what those who were disrupted did with that disruption. And what I want to say to you this morning, and I don't don't want you to miss this, that God doesn't disrupt you and I just for disruption's sake. He's not cheeky just for cheekiness' sake. But God disrupts you and I in order to be a disruptor of the world around us. And so the question is, are you disruptable? Are you disruptable or are you just a normal Christian? Church-going Christian? Safe Christian? And so as we this morning share together in our last service together like this, and we deal with our corporate disruption, we need to be Absolutely, absolutely clear that when it, when it comes to our Taramara campus, we're, we're, we're not going to Taramara to go and start another service. We're not going to Taramara to go and fix a church. We're not going to Taramara to even serve a church. We're going to Taramara because we worship a disrupting God, the great disruptor, who has disrupted us in order to disrupt the upper North Shore for Jesus. And so are we disruptable? It will mean in the coming weeks, in the coming months, that there are, there are, there are things that you're going to have to do. There are ways that we're going to have to serve. There's going to be requests of you. We're going to have to ask questions you may not see friends that you used to seeing at church. You may not see, hang out with the people that you used to hang out with. People may say stuff that's different and di- difficult and downright hurtful. It's going to be disruptive. But within that, God, the great disruptor, is calling you to be the disruptor of the world around you. So let's be absolutely clear that whether this thing that we're doing... Um, certainly there's a range of uncertainty that it's all going to, how it's all going to work. We're holding that lightly. But there is one thing that we can be certain of, that God has disrupted us. And so it means that there are some of us here in all of those elements of the disruptable life, that there are people here this morning who have had a disrupting event and they live a disrupting life, but they haven't got a disrupted heart. That's what we call religious people, Right? There are people here who've had a disrupting event and they've got a disrupted heart, but they've, they haven't got a disruptable life. That's what we call safe Christians. And maybe, just maybe, I'm sure there is, there are people here who, have, who live disruptable lives, 
And they've got disruptible hearts, but they haven't had that disrupting call of God. I call you the rebels without a cause. Come join ours. Allow Jesus to give you a purpose in life. A cosmic purpose. And so where do, where do you need to shift in that? So what I've been wrestling with, where do I need to shift in that? Where do I need to shift in this disruptability index? But guys, please let us never underestimate the impact on our corporate beauty by our individual disruptability. God consistently disrupts his church to ensure that we are not a bunch of ministry consumers, but we're a bunch of ministry providers. I constantly say there are hands only you can hold. There are beds you can only sit beside. There are conversations only you can have. There are people only you can reach. There are ministries only you can perform. So if any of us here that call ourselves a a Christian, we know that we've had the disrupting event. But this morning is all about reminding ourselves that we worship a disrupting God who has disrupted us so that we might be disruptors in the world around us. You are a disruptor in the workplace this week. You are a disruptor in your home as you care for your kids. You are a disruptor in your friendship circles. You are a disruptor of love and of peace and of mercy and of life and light. That is the call that he has placed upon you this morning and you thought you were just turning up for church. May that be true of all of us this week. Let's pray. Father, I thank you in many ways. As they say, I'm preaching to the choir. I thank you that um, this has been a church that has had agility and flexibility in our places, in our spaces, in the way that we process your word, the way that we love one another, the way that we accept people for who they are in this place, the way that we're not drawing lines, the way that there is an openness, the way that there is just a great flexibility in this place over many years, Father. A flexibility under that inflexibility. They were absolutely committed to declare you as Lord, Lord Jesus they're absolutely committed to reaching those that don't know you yet. At the same time, Father, as we pray together and shoulder to shoulder on the eve of this new season and this new adventure together, for each and every one of us, Lord, I pray by the power of your Holy Spirit, and it is the only way that it's possibly going to happen, that, Lord, you would already be moving into our hearts and our minds and there would be a preparedness in our souls, Heavenly Father, for all that is ahead that we would be people of agility and disruptability. Whether it be of our own volition or, Lord, whether it be through those breakthrough moments that we know where you are constantly present in the life of our church, Lord, continue to disrupt us. Keep us away from normal in this place, Heavenly Father. And in so doing, may the people around us experience your love and your life and your light. Father, we pray that prayer of all that we've read this morning that we would declare that the dynamic of that church thousands of years ago in Jerusalem, that that dynamic is still alive and well in the city of Sydney. And as we worship this morning amongst hundreds of other churches around this city, the Heavenly Father, that we too would be a place 
or as we walk out of these doors, that every person in front of me would know as followers of you, Lord Jesus, that they see it as their responsibility to disrupt the world and the places and the spaces that they move into this week. And in so doing, that that principle would live on. And we declare, Lord God, as you guide us, that your church is alive. Be with us, Father, in these coming weeks and months. Help us. Remove the fears, remove the anxieties. Overwhelm them, I pray, Father. We just excitedly await every new friendship, every new relationship, every new conversation because of this step of faith that we are taking corporately. We can't wait to see and to share those stories together. But it won't happen without you and it won't happen unless it's by you. We open ourselves up to that now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thanks for tuning in. If you'd like to find out more about Northside, visit northsidechurch.org.au.